Welcome back to episode number 24 of the NP Dude. This is Jeff the NP Dude giving nurse practitioners a voice. Guess what? That's all of our voices and I'm getting more and more comments. I'm getting a lot more response. You guys are doing a great job. I'm seeing a lot of people today spreading the word out there. I saw my name come up in a couple of posts and saying, hey, I listen to the NP Dude. That is fantastic. Thanks for doing that, guys. That's what I'm, I'm hoping that gets out there because I'm getting... Um, I'm getting a lot of feedback and you guys are it's just it's a it's a great feeling knowing that that somebody's appreciating what you're doing and recognizing that I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not doing this for any, you know, nefarious purpose. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for anything from anybody. I just want us to all have a cohesive and unified front on how we're doing our practice as our uh, being practitioners in our profession because the more unified we are, the better off we all will be. And here's a number. I just kind of heard this in passing from somebody just yesterday. And um, just as an example, the number of people that are members of AANP, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but the number of AANP members, which is really our, you know, you could say you're a member of ANCC, but that's really, I mean, AA. NP is really the organization that does a lot of the lobbying, does a lot of the advancement of our profession nationally. That's our organization. And if you're not a member of it, I encourage you to be a member of it because it does. They do do a lot, lot of lobbying for us. There's a lot of CEU or things that you can get through it. Even if you're ANCC certified, be a member of AANP. And here's the thing. It was like a third. It's like a third of the NPs. I mean, just imagine if we had 100% of the people that are practicing nurse practitioners out there today, members of AANP, we would be almost as big, if not as big, as the AMA. <laughs> you know, they got a lot more money dollars-wise per person, right? You know, docs make a lot more than us. But man, how cool would it be if we had the numbers? So I encourage you to join AANP. I have no affiliation with them. I'm not getting a kickback from them. I just think that, that you know they're our organization. They really are. They're the guys that are doing the, the, the heavy lifting with getting legislation and, and trying to, to lobby behind the scenes. And somebody I know uh, was was in D.C. over the weekend and, and just really had some good information. And, and I, I hope she's listening and, and uh, I've encouraged her to listen too. But, um, so that was kind of something neat that I just, I, man, everybody get out there and join AANP. It's not a lot of money. Just go do it support the cause right i mean let's let's unify and so that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to just get us good unification i had a couple things that kind of came up over the last couple days and one of them was very recent like literally like right before i left the office i got a i got a, um, a message through facebook and it said hey i want to i want to ask you something because I, I don't know what you're talking about and it was a great question i'm not going to use his name i'm going to say it's a him because so that way he can know it's him um but he was asking about the um nine-month track acute care NP that I referenced in in um, in the, one of the previous podcasts. I think it was episode 20. I can't remember anymore. But it was the one about working in the uh, ED as an FNP. And I, I, I responded. I said, man, I, I punted. You know, I don't know if it's nine months. It could be a year and a half. I have no idea. I've never looked into it. I, I have no desire to do an acute care certificate for my NP. I do know one person that did it up in Cleveland, and they were working in the trauma unit, 
and they were an FNP getting their certificate at that time. And I remember her, her telling me it was an it was a year the one she was doing. Now I bet there's different ones. This guy said, you know, and I asked him. I said, I don't know. Let me know. Do you know of one? And he said, well, they're about to be one to two years. So that gives you a little bit of an order of magnitude correction. I said nine months. I apologize. I'm not trying to mislead anybody and make it make it sound easier than it is, because I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, but order of magnitude, my, my stance still stays the same. If you are working in, in Ohio and you are working in an emergency department and you are doing critical uh, critical skills, even with training, to me, if it was me, I would be getting my acute care certificate, period. That was me. I'm just saying it. I'd spend the year to two years if I really wanted to do that. Now, yeah, that sucks. It's twice It's twice the work. You're going from two-year FNP, and then you get another you know, one to two years, so you have three to four years of school to go do something in the emergency department. Well, yeah, yeah it kind of sucks, right? I mean, you if you could un if you could have rewinded back time and went back and fixed that and did acute care from the get go, yeah, it would have only been two years. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes you have to regroup. Look at me; I've been in college for my entire life, so I don't, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy from me going back to get another two year degree. I've done a bunch of them. So, um, thanks for pointing that out. I did not mean to mislead, and I appreciate you guys listening. And, and that's the stuff I want to hear. I want to hear corrections. I want to say, dude, what's what are you talking about? That's not at all that. That's an instant. And when I hear those, I will always do my best to amend and give a repeat and say, hey, um, I was wrong on that, and I am not afraid to admit it. I'm going to be wrong all the time, and I'm hoping you guys are listening and helping to keep me straight. So thanks for doing that. Now, I had another one that came in that was really, really interesting, and it was one of the... She, she actually posted it on Facebook, so I could probably use her name, but I'm not going to. Um, and she posted this to one of the groups, and the question was a little bit different than what I have seen and I, this is another one. I haven't even, you know, I didn't even think about this, you know, as an issue. What, you know, what do you do for this? And here was the situation. Previously, I had discussed what it was, um, what my recommendations were in episode two. Go back and listen to episode two if you do not have preceptors and need a preceptor. How I did it and recommendations that I have. And I'm still seeing a ton of people asking on Facebook on how to do that. So if you guys see that, don't hesitate. Say, go check out the MP dude. He's got a 15-minute you know, podcast on what he did, and it worked well for me. So it doesn't mean that it's going to work well for you, but it's better than not doing anything. So you know, point those people in that direction. Don't hesitate to, to pass that information along. But this situation was a little bit different because it wasn't talking about getting the preceptors. This person had the preceptor was approved from from the preceptor to, to go to that site and then they submitted their information the preceptor's information to their school and it was an online program and they never approved the clinical site so here's the problem right what do you do you're coming up on a hard push like okay i gotta you know have so many hours done by such and such time and i can't get the people to give a crap at this university online wherever it is i don't even know which program it is to to approve my clinical site so i can be done right how frustrating would that be this instance was i believe a pediatric np to family np uh certificate and so it was a little bit different. It was so it was going from pediatrics to family, and it, I believe it was a women's health clinical site that was that was uh, giving her trouble getting the the approval on. And so what what do you do, right? Okay, well your online program you can't physically and I and I didn't think about being online. I didn't realize that that was the issue. I said, well I would go knock on the door of the dean and I would be in their face 
every day for a, a, a month until they approved it. I would be the biggest pain in their ass. I just would. That's me. If you're not doing what you said you're going to do, and I'm paying you a lot of money to do it, you can bet your sweet bippy I'm going to be in your face. Sorry. In fact, a lot of the people that when I when I was an undergrad at Akron for my nursing degree, I was in their face because I had that mentality. Hey, I'm paying you, and if you drop the ball, I expect more from you. I'm paying you a lot of money, cash. You're gonna you're gonna make this right. You're gonna get this done, or whatever it was. So I was kind of that guy in undergrad. I was a little bit more calm in my masters because I you know, it was, yeah, it was private school, and there's less people, and you know you got to fly under the radar a little bit in that setting. So I was a little bit more tame, but I still would have. If this situation happened to me at Malone, where I went for my masters, I would have been in their face. I would have been in the deans. I would have been in the department chairs. I would have been at the provost. I would have been at the president of the, or of the university. I'd be in his face, and I'd be saying, "Where's your legal department? Let's figure this out." <laughs> I, would, I would be that guy uh, if it was this long. And here was the problem: it was from I believe it was like six months, five months. It was a long time that she said that it took from when she submitted the information and they still haven't approved it now here's the problem why is it five months for it to be a problem for you now you may have sent emails and phone calls and things like that in the past but I would be printing emails out I would be making a list a log of all the times you've called the the person the clinical director or whoever it is you submitted your information to and I would be um, having a, a tally of all that information and I would say look this is unreasonable I've emailed you six times in the last two months and uh, prior to that I called you five times and every time I'm told we're getting to it we're getting to it we're getting to it and yet you're not getting to it all I need you to do is approve my site at least tell me why it's not approved and I will go find another site that will meet your criteria and that's the hardest thing right so if you're not getting any response and it's online what do you do well that's a problem I mean it's, it's difficult, right? So here's my recommendations for anybody that's having a problem with a university. And this can be anybody. Or if your kids are in, you know, going to college and they're having a problem or any of that stuff. Just the general stuff about dealing with an organization as a, a, the, that is a university. doesn't matter if it's public or private. doesn't really matter. They're both... The, a public school is, you know, like uh, Ohio State University or Ac University of Akron. Those are those are state schools, and technically, the actions of the state are different than that of a private individual. Um, but functionally, a private university is quasi-governmental, so they're going to act very similar. So it doesn't really matter. But here's my recommendation: get a copy of the handbook. Always get a copy of the handbook that you started the program with. So if you started your program in 2014, you need the program. Uh, the, the, the handbook um, of policies from 2014. Now sometimes they change policies because of accreditation and things like that and they'll make addendums to your manual but you need the one that you started with. You're not using the one that's this year, so 2017, you want to go back to the one you started with. When you start at that university in the program you're grandfathered to that, to that handbook so any changes they make in the future do, should not apply to you. And if they try to do that, it's probably because the accreditation body's making them do it. And they don't have a choice. So that's really the, the guidance that I have on that. Now, what, what, what's the big deal? Why do I care about that? When you sign up with a university and you pay them money, you, you're basically forming a contract. In, there, in signing that you're becoming a student, you're agreeing to all the terms and conditions that are in that handbook. It's the the uh, cancellation policy of a, of a class. It's how you uh, pay your bill. It's got all that administrative crap about 
you know, releasing transcripts and, and everything else about that you're going to need for that degree. What program um, credentialing bodies they, they use for their program so they, that you know ahead of time when you sign on the dotted line the contract, quote unquote, with that university that you know exactly what you're getting for your dollar. That's the whole idea. So I always have a copy of that sucker. I PDF that thing, put it on a flash drive, put it on my hard drive, back it up on something, and that way I got it while I'm in school because if something happens and they say, uh, we're changing the program and you now have to take an extra 12 hours of, of you know certain class. Yeah, I don't. I'm going back to the handbook from when I started and here's the requirements that were required at that time. If I need to take something else, you need to prove to me that I need it because of some credentialing body or something like that. That way they, they're not just bilking you for more more money, right? So that that's one of the reasons. But the other reason is it outlines the administrative process if you have a dispute over something with their program. So say you have a bad grade in something and you want to dispute that grade and you say, you know what, I actually did very well on this and it was completely subjective and the only reason I didn't do well on it was because that professor did not like me because I was not spineless or because I was vocal about them not understanding what they were doing or whatever it was. And I have actual specific instances of that happening. That's why it sounds very specific. And so you have an administrative remedy. You file with them, uh, you have an informal hearing with the person that you're aggrieved with, then you can go and uh, if they don't give you a satisfactory answer, then you can appeal to the dean, and then after that, if they don't, then you can take it to the dean, to the provost, or to the to the president, or whatever the process is that they were, they outline. They could all be different, but it's in the handbook. you got to know what the handbook says. And, the reason, and they make it somewhat onerous, so that when you do that process, it's just enough of a pin in the butt that you really got to want to go through the process because you have to have all your paperwork filed. You have only so much time to do it in. You have to appeal within a certain period of time. And if you don't follow all of those processes, you won't have a remedy at law. Now, what's remedy at law mean? It, it's, it's fancy words for be able to sue in court. So say, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm going to a university and they don't give me my clinical site and they don't approve it. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do per the, per the book the handbook to get my clinical site. I have an approved facility that I feel is very, very acceptable as a site. And I, and I, uh, don't get my approval. I don't get to graduate. I have to wait a whole nother year for me to get my, uh, my, my degree and I lose out my whole year. Well, you could take the money that you would have made in addition to what you're already making. So say you make 60 grand as an RN and you're going to make 90 grand as, a, as an NP. I'm just throwing generic numbers out. You could sue them for $30,000 for lost wages. I mean, that's a damage. There's no reason you couldn't. But you've got to follow the full academic administrative policy and procedures before you can, you, um, you can sue. And so there is a remedy at law for that, but you can't go there first. And I guarantee every university in the, in, in the United States has some policy that says you have to exhaust your administrative policies first and the remedies through that process first before you can sue them for whatever it is you want to sue them for. Now, it gets a little bit different with state schools because you can actually sue a government agency and, and, a, and a public school like University of Akron is a government agency. Uh, you can sue them for um, to force them to make a decision on something, but the problem is you still have to you know, go through your your process, your administrative process to do that. 
and by then, you know, you 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 know, this per- specific instance, this person is going to be, you know, ready to graduate. It's going to take too long to do all that. So, what's the recommendation? I would read the handbook first. Just know what the policy is, and then what I would do is I would write a nasty gram and copy all of the people that are in charge of that program. I'd find the dean's uh, email. I would find the president of the university's email. I would find everybody that's a bigwig, and I would say in the subject line um, something along the lines of um, notice of possible lawsuit. That'll get attention. <laughs> you will get the president of the, the CEO of, of, or president of a university to open that email. All right? And, and I mean, I wouldn't sue them. I wouldn't do it. But I would just get a subject line that's going to scare the crap out of people, right? And they're going to open it and read it and say, look. And then the next line is going to be, dear so-and-so, who's the clinical person, right? Whoever it is that you submit this information to. On such and such date, outline all the times you've called, all the times you've emailed, all the times you've gotten no responses back. All, you know, all that information and say, I have attempted and gone above and beyond what the, the handbook requires for me to submit my information for my, my clinical site. And, and it is your responsibility to ensure that me as a paying student, student is getting approval of my clinical site. And I demand that within 24 hours, my site is approved or denied. And if it's denied, I need to know the exact requirements, why it's not approved, so that I can find an appropriate site immediately. Now, my bet is that what happened was, is if it's an online program, and it's purely an online program, they're probably overwhelmed, which is not to say give them an excuse or a cop-out. So it's probably buried in their email. It probably got buried in their voicemail. It probably just got buried. And they've guess what? If you're yelling at them, there's probably a 100 other people yelling at the same person for the same problems. So not to give them a, a, a cop-out answer of, you know, why they're not doing their job. They certainly should have do, you know, done it a while ago. But you know, it's just in reality, it's probably buried. So you got to get the right person to open up that email and say, "Oof, all right, let's just fix this." And then another thing I would say in there is, I am on Facebook, and I and I have um, at my disposal, you know, f- upwards of thirty thousand nurse practitioners that are willing and wanting to get it, into an FNP program, uh, post uh, postgraduate certificate program for FNP. And, oh, by the way, I'm going to tell every single one of them that you guys are not helping your students. You know, I don't know. What, what, do they care? Maybe. I would care. If somebody said, I got 30,000 people that are, you know, within a click of a button, I could say, hey, don't go here. And, hey, how about you guys? Have anybody else heard of this problem with this people, too? And and it sounds like there is. It sounds like there's several people from what I'm, I'm reading on this, the Facebook post. So make a, make a stink, but you got to be smart about it. you got to hit the right people. So you got to find the, the – I would start with your guy again, uh, the clinical uh, person that you submitted your information to, and maybe the dean, and pound both of those two and say, look, this enough is enough. Approve it or disapprove it, but you got 24 hours or two days, whatever you think is reasonable. I don't care. I would, I would go short because I'm just a jerk like that. I'm not afraid of them. Um, but if you're afraid of getting a bad grade because you're being pushy, then you know then you got to kind of tone it back a little bit, right? So maybe make it a week. It shouldn't take them any. It should take literally two minutes. I don't know why they're taking so long. 
So that was one of them, and I, and, and it, there's no great answer with that, right? I mean, the other option is you drive to their office. I don't know where the school is relative to where this person lives, but you know, if you got to drive halfway across the country just to go knock on somebody's door and say, hey, can you approve my clinical site? That's pretty crappy, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of dough to go get that done, but you may have to. I don't know. If it's a two-hour drive, I'd probably drive to them and just I'd schedule the meeting and say, I'm coming at this time. Is that work for you? I'll be there. Now, I mean, make sure they're going to be there. I mean, they, you know, if you get there and nobody's there, then that defeats the whole purpose of spending time getting there. But that might be worthwhile. Maybe maybe worth the time to go knock on a door and say, hey, can you, can you spend 10 minutes and explain why I'm not getting this approved? That's where I would go with it. So that, that was an interesting one, and I didn't even think about that, you know, because I, I, I specifically picked a program where there, there was a building and people that I can look them in the eye and say, this is what I want, this is how I want to get there, can you make that happen? And they say yes, and, and they did. So, you know, that's, that, was, that was why I chose a brick-and-mortar school. I paid a little bit more for it, but, you know, I could get in their face if I needed to. I, I didn't really have to, but a little bit, but not bad. Um, and most of them were really super nice. You know, they were doing it for the right reasons. They were teaching, man, it's really snowing out here. Holy snakies, I just pulled into a snowstorm. Complete white up. Um, so that was another one. And then uh, I saw another great question, all right? This one, this one was kind of neat, and it was a little bit different idea because um, it was kind of a contract negotiation question, but it wasn't really a contract negotiation. It, well, that's not really what it was asking. It was, it was asking that, but it, that wasn't what it, the intent was. And here, here's what it was. It was... Hey, I'm 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 negotiating a contract right now, and the and the place is kind of far away. Should I negotiate in mileage into my contract? And I thought, well, that's kind of dangerous. We might want to delve into that one a little bit. And I could have got into a you know an explanation on Facebook, but I really didn't. It, it just, I think would have been too confusing. So I said, let me let me talk about it today, and I'll post back to you guys so you guys can listen to it and see my thoughts on it. So here's the issue. The issue is. You're driving, um, it doesn't matter, 100 miles, right, a day, 50 miles each way, doesn't matter. Um, but you normally only you want to drive you know, 20 miles away. Can you write off additional mileage on your taxes is one issue versus do I want to negotiate more money out of my contract out of that? And um, my answer to the second part is better, right? Because if you want to negotiate higher because you have to drive farther, absolutely do it. Figure out what that mileage is and say, and, and that's just justification to make it reasonable to them that the increase in your pay is maybe worthwhile. So, you know, if you're driving 50 miles each way and all the other NP practices or, or, or opportunities for you are only 15, 20 miles away, yeah, I'd, I'd figure out what it's going to cost 40 miles, of, you know, 35 miles each way, 70 miles, that's 70 miles times 55 cents or whatever the going rate is through your taxes and say that, you know, that's a good number and then add that to what your salary would be and say, to cover my cost of my car falling apart driving, you know, halfway across the state to get to you, yeah, I need to see an extra seven grand a year or 10 grand a year, whatever it is. Whatever the number is, and that's a that's a very intelligent way to come up with a contract negotiation cost that's reasonable, and then you'd also have to take into consideration that's taxable. That's taxable income. So if your cost to you is going to be, you know, five grand, you're going to want to probably ask for seventy five hundred to cover the cost of that, the true cost. Otherwise, you're not going to be fully compensated for it because in reality, once they take out taxes, $5,000 is only going to be $3,000 or whatever it is. 
and and so uh, you know you're really not going to be made whole for that additional drive. Now, do you care about it? Maybe not. Maybe that's just you you know shooting high to get the highest number you can, and you don't think you can get the squeeze out of them. Yeah, I'd start higher. I'd start at 7,500 and shoot for 5,000, right? And then take with taxes out and everything else. You got to take the hit. So that's the problem: is that it's it's taxable income at that point. Now the other option is go back to the the uh, uh, episode where I talked about being a contractor, and I think I might have even mentioned it. But you get to write off your mileage if you are a contractor because your place of employ could be your house, and you're driving as part of your business to work. Now, if you are an employee or a contract employee, wherever your main office is that you spend the majority of your time, that time from your house, that mileage from your house to that office is not tax, is not tax, uh, you can't write that off on your taxes. Okay, it's not a deduction. You can't do a below, a below the di- uh, line deduction on that, is what they call that. Because that's what your employment is. You chose to work there. That's the policy stance that the IRS has taken, and tough. That's the way it is. So that's one thing there. Now, if you are driving to your main office, and you get in your car, and you drive from office A to office B, you can write that off. You can write that off all day long. And you could do it a couple different ways. You could possibly negotiate your contract that you get mileage reimbursed to you as an expense account, where you basically just file your mileage, and they write off and you know basically pay you back for your mileage. And then they turn that into the ta- for uh, tax purposes, and it's basically just passing that mileage um, deduction through you to the company. That's one option, but that's just a tracking nightmare. The other option is that you could just um, write it off on your own personal income taxes and say, you know what, I you know for work I drove from office A to office B. I had odometer reading from this to this. It was this mileage. You still got to keep track of it. But you have to do it personally on your own income taxes, and you get to write that off, and it just makes your taxable income get knocked down, so you pay less taxes, which is a good thing, in my opinion. So that's kind of what I would suggest. So just make sure that when you're doing that negotiation, you take into consideration that, you know, if I'm going to add in wear and tear on my car to get to a far place, that I'm going to make it high enough that when the taxes come out, uh, that it's not going to really, you know, impinge me or make it less of a detractor for me to really go work there in the first place. So if I, you know, if I say I get squeeze three grand higher for, you know, wear and tear on my car and mileage and gas and all the other stuff, and at the end of the day, after taxes, it comes to two grand, and I'm spending, you know, five grand a year in in gas to get to this place, I'm losing money. Why? You got to be make make me at least as as whole as working local, because I'm spending time in the car too that you don't get paid for. So those are important factors to consider, and and that's kind of a personal one because I'm I'm driving right now from the office, and I'm only about halfway. And how long have I been talking for? Twenty six minutes. Actually, I'm probably not even halfway. So keep that in mind. That's time, right? It's time away from family. It's time away from everything. So that's all valuable to you. Increase your costs for those that time and your mileage and your gas and everything else. Certainly reasonable. I agree with you. Yes, negotiate that, but just make sure you're covering your taxes. The other thing on it is um, you can't just write. You can write off some of it, but be careful. Or maybe maybe run the numbers like I said in the contract one and come up with a better deal as a contractor. Um, you know, if maybe you don't need your health care through you or something like that. You might be able to get a, make a, a win-win for both of you guys. You could have a you could make a ton more money and not take the insurance anyways, and uh, you might make more money that way anyways. 
So keep that in mind. Go back and listen to that episode. I can't remember which one it is, but it was the the uh, employee status one. It was uh, uh, employee at will, contract employee, and the contractor, and why why it matters. What's the difference? So that was a, that was a show that I would I would go back and listen to. If, if you're interested in that negotiation, that might be worthwhile to you. So that was that's all I have for today, guys. Again, I really appreciate it. You guys are keeping me honest and giving me great feedback, and I'm getting a ton of good information, and uh, I, I'm still just having a blast. You guys are great. I love nurses, man. You guys, this, as, a, as a collective, we're just, you know, we really give a crap, so that, that, that makes it fun. Um, you guys can always email me, jeff at the npdude.com. You can always, always comment on my Facebook page. Um, you guys, I'm seeing a couple posts come through on my Facebook page. That's kind of like an open forum for you guys. I'm never going to delete a post if somebody puts it up there unless it's vulgar and not helpful. Um, uh, if you are just spamming me with something that's stupid, like, hey, you know, here, here's a weight loss pill or something, I'll delete that crap because nobody wants to sift through it. Um, and that's really the only things I'm ever going to delete. So if you guys have cr- constructive criticisms, ideas for the show, problems, concerns, anything that you're not afraid to say it openly, post it on the on my Facebook page. I don't care. That's what it's there for. I'm never going to delete any of that stuff. And same thing with the comments section on my on my uh, website, thenpdude.com. I will never delete a comment. I'll always approve it if it's constructive, if it makes sense, if it's, you know, even if it's you suck Jeff. I still haven't got a you suck Jeff. Somebody tell me I suck. I'm still waiting. Uh, so that's all I have for today, guys. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, keep, the, keep the things rolling out there. You guys are really spreading the news. That's great. I love it. And I'm having fun. That makes it even better, right? So keep listening. Spread the word. We'll talk soon. Thanks.